Good morning, everybody. My name is Kevin Bates, and I'm the lead pastor here at Resonate Christian Church. And I welcome each one of you here today. I'm thankful for each one of you. And I want to give a heartfelt, I love you, we love you. And that is a message that we want to send out each and every week to you, that we care about who you are. We want to hear from you. And if you would please just send us messages or connect with us in any way possible so that we can pray, pray for you and connect with you and just have conversation with you. If you desire that, connect with us on Facebook. You can send us messages on Instagram or, or uh, Facebook Messenger or directly on our website. There is an online connect card on ResonateLife.org that you can fill out and get us your information and prayer requests, and we can connect with you that way. Each and every week, we're going to continue this live broadcast at 10 o'clock. And so if you, um, if you are still at home and you want to stay at home, that's okay. Today, we are actually opening up uh, a gathering. We have 25 people uh, today, and we are opening up a gathering uh, just of 25. And if you want to attend that, there's a way to do that. Just connect with Pastor Jake or others um, if you want to attend our uh, uh, in-person gathering. But we're going to continue this broadcast, and I'm going to just speak directly to the camera that you can connect uh, this way to our gathering and our worship time. We still are going to have our 9.30 coffee time. We're still going to have our 9.30 uh, kids uh, program that Bethany Flug is going to run. And so if you want to connect with those, coffee time, connect with Amanda or with our kids, connect with uh, Bethany Flug and they can uh, get you connected to those live streams. So during the week, we also have our community groups that are going to continue online through Zoom. Um, some are going to make the decision this week to meet in person. And so if you want to connect to a community group, you're welcome to do so as well. During this introduction, if you have a piece of bread or some uh, wine at home or juice, we want to encourage you to get those now. And, and those are going to be our communion elements that we're going to take at the end of this preaching time. Each and every week, I've been lighting this candle, and this is the Christ candle, and this represents light in the darkness. And so, even though we might not feel Christ's presence, the Spirit's presence in our life, and especially this week, just really experiencing the last couple of, couple of weeks, really experiencing a darkness and even in, that, even in that malaise and even in that black cloud that feels just really, really um, like evil in our, in our culture, uh, there's light in the darkness and Christ is with us and his presence is, is with us. So with that, today I'm going to talk again about racism and kind of hold on because this is a, a passion of mine and I, I really want to communicate a message this morning uh, that we ingest and take in and, and we do something with it. That it's not just words and words through a camera, that we would actually take these words and the biblical concept of justice, mercy, and, um, and humility and we would take that to action. 
So over the last week, there's been a lot of despair. Over the last week, there's been a lot of anger. And inside of me, there's been anger and despair. I mean, I, I have felt so many emotions processing things and trying to get a handle on where our culture is and what exactly has occurred and what is occurring in our nation. Um, I would think that after last week that life would have gotten better inside of me, that I would have been able to have a better set of emotions, but that did, that did not happen. The more marches that I saw, the more protests that I saw and were a part of and, and, and engaged in this week, I, I really felt a ramp up almost of feeling convicted that this is not just an event that this is not gone in July, that this is something that is, I'm in it for the long term. I have two children of color. And so what that means for me is I'm in this for the long term. I'm advocating for my daughters. I'm advocating for other people in life. And I just, I just have really am, uh, felt a stronger and stronger conviction. And so what was fuzzy has definitely become a lot more clear. I have to be honest with you, you know, several years ago, in this discussion, I kind of walked on a fine line. I didn't want to like offend people. I didn't want to like say the words Black Lives Matter. I, I was afraid of certain things and I've repented of that. I'm sorry for that. And to be honest, I am fully engaged and willing to speak out and say what needs to be said and no longer dance around on eggshells like I'm on glass or something afraid to get cut. That's just insanity anymore to me to sit there and try to have two sides of this conversation. There's one conversation that needs to be had, and that is a Christ conversation, and Christ demands us to look at people, treat people, engage with people like they are created equal, um, in the eyes of God and in the eyes of human beings, that we are created equal and, and, and we are to love people uh, in fairness and equality. The things that I've listened to over the last week definitely have shown that we are living in a world of pain. We are living in a world of fatigue right now. There is a lot of fatigue right now. There's emotional despair in the black and brown communities. And I would say, yes, rightfully so, completely overwhelming. And, and, and I am overwhelmed, but not even close to what a person of color um, right now feels overwhelmed by. It's so overwhelming. Lots of protests because of that over overwhelming emotion. Um, I do not know, I do not want this morning to, and this is not a political discussion. This is not a, this is not a sociological psychology discussion. This is a human being discussion. This is flesh and flesh discussion. And, and this is not a political discussion. Um, there's a lot of special interest groups out there that are trying to ride some horse and trying to, to get on this bandwagon and, and use this, of, this series of events for their own gain. And that, is, that, is, that needs to be undone. That is not right. And that is not what we're going to do this morning. 
I do not condone violence in any way, and I don't condone theft in any way, and I don't con condone harming another person in any way. And people have lost their livelihoods this last week. Um, I, I will say one thing about that, because there's a lot of opinions about the violence and about the protests and stuff that have gone on in the last week. Uh, I've watched somebody die right in front of me, a violent death. I, I watched somebody get run over by a truck and then inhumanely, just basically the truck just drove away and left this little girl on, on the road dead. So I've seen death in person um, violently uh, and it just, it's traumatizing. It's absolutely traumatizing. And what, what we have seen this last couple of weeks, we've seen a video of somebody um, brutally murdered, and that has gone viral. And if, if George Floyd was my dad or my brother or my son, I'm going to just boldly say I might break stuff too, um, because the emotion is that great. So before we judge others about their reactions and before we condemn others and stereotype and throw everybody in the same camp or something like that. We need to be very careful about what we are saying about, about, about people. Um, I do know that there are also special interest groups that are involved in the violent actions and the protests. And, and one large truth that I know in all of this, and I can back this up with the Bible, is in the voice of the unheard. And unheard voices need to be heard. Unheard voices need to be heard. And sometimes the waters get murky uh, when a lot of other voices and stuff goes on. And I'll say again, unheard voices need to be heard over property ends and thrown rocks and things like this um, and, harming, and harming other people's property in person, that the unheard voices still need to be heard even though chaos and mayhem is happening. And so the Bible speaks very clearly about the unheard voice, and it's called the liberation of the unheard voice. There's unheard voices riddled through the Bible, whether it be a marginalized person in any way, a, a person of, of different ethnicity, or a person uh, like of a gender, a woman is, is marginalized in the Bible. You will see marginalized and unheard voices all throughout Scripture. And the Bible speaks of the liberation of the unheard voice, the marginalized, the outsider, the one that is different. The Bible speaks liberation. The liberation is for all people. All human beings can experience the liberation that is given in Christ. Yet the common theme that I have heard this week in the black community has been a theme of not liberation, uh, but of survival. And if somebody in the black community has achieved affluence or 
or some kind of a, achievement like status or, or whatever. If, if the person in the black community achieved that in their life, the theme that I hear about that situation is that is an exception. So we have survival and exception. And there is no justice and there is no peace with survival and exception. There is only justice and peace with liberation. Only justice and peace with liberation. And Jesus promises liberation. Yet it is our job as human beings to bring the message and the action of liberation to all people. And this liberation is for everyone. And the good news is that we are all created equal as the image of God. And we can experience this kind of liberation and freedom regardless, as the Bible calls out, there's no Jew, Greek, male, or female. All races and all genders are offered this equal gift of freedom and liberation. Yet it is our job to bring this message of liberation to the ends of the earth. That's what we are called to do. So any gospel that closes off any certain person is not the gospel. I'm going to repeat that again. If the, if, if the gospel closes off a group of people or an, an ethnicity or a race of people, and it closes off that group of people from accepting and experiencing the gospel, it's not the gospel. It's not the good news. The good news is Jesus died, shed his blood, spilled his, his life for everyone on earth. So I'm going to broaden this uh, a little bit from just the message of the Christian gospel because humans that close off any other human for whatever reason, that is not the nature of of human that God created us in. I'm going to repeat that, okay? Any human that closes off another human for whatever reason, holds them down, kicks them out, excludes them for whatever reason, this is not the nature of human beings that God created us in. This is sin. So, a human that closes off another human or puts down another human, this is sin. Racism is sin. It's, it's not a sin issue. It's not a cultural thing that can't be solved. It is considered, and it is, racism is sin. And we cannot show apathy or complacency or condone in any way Sin. And Romans 1, if I look at Romans 1 and take the heart of that passage, when we stand back and just become complacent, we eventually approve of sinful behavior because we eventually fail to recognize the behavior. And I believe that that's where we are at as a nation. We have believed in, in, in such things for so long that we affirm and we approve different kinds of racial discrimination 
either um, uh, like systemic uh, racism or microaggressions or things like that. And, and the movement of culture, we follow the popular movement of culture, and we end up condoning different kinds of racism. This is what systemic racism is, is all about. And this is the huge red flag this week that we are receiving and, and what we are listening to, that racism is real, racism is, is everywhere, it's in our state, it's in our communities, it's in our neighborhoods, and it's in our homes. Racism is a sin. We need to repent and change and, and, and advocate for those that have endured such things. And it's time, Christian, to take personal responsibility for our contributions towards it. We can no longer say we are not part of the problem, or I don't say jokes, or I don't make condemning comments, or I don't like say uh, weird, you know, things, or or poke fun at people, or say outright racial comments. You you might not say outright racial comments, but it is time, folks, that we need to take personal responsibility for our contributions either in silence, our contributions either in not advocating, our contributions in adopting certain languages and phrases that aren't, aren't right, and we need to build a more inclusive, loving community that includes people of color, includes people that are, that are different, uh, maybe that is an LBGTQ, maybe that is, is somebody that, that maybe is marginalized, uh, yes, we can expand it into that, but our, our community needs to be built uh, that includes people of color that we treat fairly, equally, and advocating for if we are white. And that is my statement. White silence is part of the problem. White silence cannot, we cannot be silent about this anymore. We need to start doing the heavy lifting we need to start acting out in ways that advocate and create change in our system. So now we're at a point in this sermon that you're probably going, wow, okay, so is Kevin blaming me for things? Is Kevin like pointing the finger at me? And you, you might even be offended by some of the things that I'm saying. And I'm going to say, okay. Hashtag, okay. And, and, and let's, let's be offended and let's work through that and figure out why we are offended by that and change and grow and grow up out and, and through uh, this moment in our history and be better on, on the forward, forward progression. I was listening to a podcast, a current pro podcast that was just a couple of days ago by Brene Brown where she was interviewing and discussing racism with Ibram Kendi. He's a professor, African-American professor, uh, and, and it was incredibly interesting what they were talking about because it just kind of showed why we are dealing with industrial racism, institutional racism, rather, um, or systemic racism in, in general. 
more than a century ago, if, if you want to know a little history, more than a century ago, there's statistical data that was produced um, that was an emer emerging statistical data set on minorities and races. And it included their health conditions, and included poverty rates, and included job rates, and crime rates, and et cetera. It just kind of included a gamut of all statistical data. And this data showed that minorities, and especially focused on black Americans, they had a disproportionate statistic in these areas. There were more black people incarcerated there were more black people dying. There were more black people with less, there was, there was job retention issues in the statistics. And the sad conclusion that many people drew out of this turn of the century at the time data was there was something wrong with the black American. If they have all these problems, it was the way that they were living or as the way that they were eating or as the way that they were socializing or as the way that they were they were doing life, that, that the way they did life or who they were as a person, there was something wrong with the black American. And so in this podcast, it continued, and of course I was, I was like, wow, that is incredibly sad. But the conclusion and, and really the, 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 okay, what does this mean for, for the future it is impossible to change policies and systems that hold people down if you believe it's their fault for being held down. It's impossible to change a system when you put the blame on the person that is apart and being held down by the system. And so we need to look at people as people and say, what is happening in this system that is holding people down. There is nothing wrong with them, as some people concluded back in the 1900s. There's nothing wrong with them, but that attitude has carried forward. Hence systemic racism, hence what we are facing today, that the blame is on the way they live. I'll give you a very current example. And it got off the news cycles really fast, and, and it, was, it was really interesting how fast something is pulled out of out of a news cycle, COVID-19, uh, if you read on the CDC website, you'll see this conclusion right now of the emerging data of COVID-19 on, on racial and ethnic minorities. Uh, it says, current data suggests a disproportionate burden of illness and death among racial and ethnic minority groups. And on the news cycle, if you heard it, that was reported and people jumped on that and said it was because black people don't socially distance, black people live in a certain way, uh, people of color don't follow the rules. They're not following the rules. So the person was blamed because they had a higher infection rate of COVID-19. It was their fault. It wasn't the system. It wasn't racial uh, discrimination. It wasn't... It wasn't, uh, it wasn't the systemic racism problem. It was their problem. So that's a current example of how when somebody is a part of a system that holds them down, they're blamed and the finger is pointed as it is their, 
it is their fault. It is not their fault. Racial, systemic racism is, is the problem. So we need to evaluate. We need to evaluate our own lives, our own minds, our own hearts. Where are we at, and if you are white, where are you at as a white person with this issue? How much disdain do you have, even micro-disdain, do you have towards a person of color? How much disdain do you have towards black people? Is it in you? Do you find those times, are there, there are occurrences in your life that you're pointing the finger or you have this lower view of, of a black person or a person of, of color? Do you, do you point the finger at them I think it's time to evaluate so that we're not perpetuating racism, systemic institutional racism alike in our worlds. I think it's time to listen. I think it's time to learn and be, to begin to the process of, of growing up. And my hope and my prayer is that, is that we would end it. What I know about the nature of human nature is it takes cataclysmic change to end something. And so, so that's a challenge right now in my, in my mind. I don't want to give up. I won't give up. I'm in this for the long term. There needs to be huge change in order for change to happen. My daughter is from Thailand. She has brown skin. I have a new daughter from Thailand, and she has brown skin. I want to just talk about um, my daughter, Nataya, because she's a little bit older. She's 11, and she understands lots of things. She has been made fun of at school for the color of her skin. She has come home crying because kids have spoken out and, and you know, touched her and said, why are you so brown or why is your skin so so dark and I was really proud of her because she went out um, here at the march and the protest in Sherwood and I was asking about it pre pre March I was I was let's talk about your feelings let's talk about what's going on in your in your mind I want you to go out there and and be confident about about who you who you are, and and we talked, and and the concept of race and discrimination is a very active conversation in my home. That day, she made signs on her own. Um, one of the signs is here, right here. You can't decide your color, so that was one of her signs. And and so anyway, she went out on this on this march carrying her signs with a with a literally, I mean, just a thousand people out there carrying signs and protesting and, and demanding for, for justice and peace. And it was really hard for me not to get teary because when I came home, her sign that said color is not a crime uh, was against my, right next to my front door. And I walked in the front door and I looked to my right and there's her, there's her sign. And I, and I sat there on the stairs and I got a little teary because my daughter at 11 is out on protests and she's having to advocate and demand and scream out for justice because of the color of her skin. 
and and I'm just like taken back a, a little bit here because honestly, it's like she's just a, a little eleven year old girl. And why do we still live in this world riddled with racism? Why are we still here? Why are we? Why haven't we grown? Why haven't we taken the the time and 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 implemented the the change that needs? needs to, to be changed. Well, I think, I think it stems from this. When you're blamed for something, you move into a, your limbic brain, your, like, your, your reptile brain, goes into protection mode. It's like a fight or flight thing. And so when fingers are pointed at you, you get defensive and you put up walls. And you galvanize, and you say, I'm not going to change, and you dig your heels in when you're blamed, when, you, when the fingers are pointed at you. The challenge here is racism is not a black problem. It's not their fault. It's, 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 racism is a white person's problem, and black people reap the consequences of it. That's the problem. And... And when you have a problem and you're in a, in a system that's created by white people with deep roots of, of racism and a black person is suffering the consequences and somebody blames the white person, the white people dig their heels in and throw up their defenses. So white people have to be a part and be, in, be at the center of the change. We have to change the system. We have to change the culture around us. Just look at our community. We have built in this community systems that drive people of color. Just, just the cost of living here, just the kind of housing we have here in this community has driven people out of this community. I know somebody personally that seven years ago moved away. She had an African-American child. Um, she had a transracial family. And, and she could not handle anymore her child being made fun of at school because of the color of his skin. They moved. They had to move to get away from our community because of racism. Racism exists in this community. I have seen Confederate flags flying behind trucks in people's yards in this community. If you don't know what that stands for, read your history. It's not a part of, of some, some cultural history that needs to be celebrated. It's nothing to be celebrated. We need to put an end to I mean, I'm not raising some... some you know, Nazi flag. I mean, I'm, I, I have German descent. I'm not raising because it's a part of my old, like, history. That's craziness. And so, so there are things that happen, and there's a tremendous amount of great, awesome people. A thousand people walked this march. Uh, an amazing amount of people in this community doing amazingly good work. Yet we have racial overtones, undertones, and blatant racism, micro and macro aggressions in this community. She moved away. She moved away. So when we're blamed for something, we dig our heels in. 
Yet we have to be at the, right at the center of, of this change. I mean, heck, I've been working in female equality for a long time. And when men are blamed, they dig their heels in. I don't want to change. It's not my problem. It's their problem. Get over it. All this stuff that's, that's set. And so I, I know the attitude. Our attitudes need to change. It's, it's nothing, it is providential, I think, and it's nothing by accident that I'm preaching through the three topics in Micah, love mercy, do justice, and walk humbly with your God. Last week we talked about do justice. George Floyd was killed days before I do do justice on Sunday, meaning make justice. We need to seek out justice, make justice in this world. We need to wrong the rights. Yet how now are we to enter into the conversation of change? If, Kevin, you are saying, I need to be at the center of this conversation, I need to be a part of this, I need to be at the center of it, uh, white people built a white system, black people are, are reaping the consequences of this system, white people need to change the system. I sat at race talks two years ago, downtown Portland, and in race talks, somebody um, looked at me, uh, uh, they were African-American female, looks at me and says, I need you at this table to make the change. And I just sat there and I was like, okay. I was, I was like taking, that was my like three years ago, my first entry into this conversation. And I, you know, I was kind of like, you know, like what, what do I do? I want to be a part of it, but what do I do? Um, so, First and foremost, I want to say that we need to enter into the conversation a certain way. And I've had examples of that in my life when I'm at uh, with people of color and having discussions about ministry and social change and cultural, cultural issues, is there's an attitude of humility that I need to take when I enter into the conversation and I sit at that table. So the first, when we're listening and we're hearing, and I've seen a lot of that on social media. I'm listening, I'm hearing, but I've also seen a lot of this. I'm listening and here's my opinion. Right? I'm listening and here's my two cents, quote unquote, scare quotes. Right? So, <clears throat> so we need to listen. We need to be a part of the conversation and listen and hear and enter into the with a posture of humility. I'm trying to listen, I'm trying to hear, and I want to bring those voices, and and that's what that's what God has put me in this place is, is I can bring and have the chance of bringing those voices forward and advocate for change. When I <clears throat> when my daughter comes home. And she tells me that she's been made fun of at school. I need to advocate for her. I need to be a part of that conversation and advocate. And I don't need to brush it off. I don't need to negate it. I don't need to exp explain it away. I need to hear her pain. I need to listen to her heart with this issue. And, and you know, having a child of color this, this last week, it has made me... It has made me uh, angry 
And when I think about Natalia and her interactions with people, and I've seen people, you know, point out her race or say that she looks a certain way or or tell her that she doesn't really look American, like that that has been a conversation in our home for months and months and months that she doesn't feel American because she doesn't look American. And I keep telling her, what does an American look like? Trying to process through what is an American, their facial features or the color, what do they, what do they look like? And she's saying, they look like you, Dad. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's talk about what all Americans look like, all the races, all the, all the colors of skin. Um, she is sometimes mistaken in her race. Like some people think that she is Latina. Some people think that she is Asian. Some people just kind of like, okay, are you are you are you Polynesian? You know what what are you? They mistaken they mistaken her race, and then they make comments about her race. Now at eleven years old, I'm having to have the conversation with my daughter that she doesn't look American. How, how are we living in this, in this world? And if I sit back with a child and she looks back on her life when she's 47 and she looks back and she sees her daddy not doing anything about it, shame on me. That's not going to happen on my watch. And so part of humility is recognizing and affirming that there's a problem. That's, that's the first step of humility, is recognizing that there is a problem, affirming the problem, and recognizing our part in the problem. I can tell you that, that the church, the white church, um, as we have a predominantly white church, but really the, the church is segregated throughout the United States, and you just look at the church and what the church advocates for, who they support, what kind of concepts and policies they support. I'm going to be bold to say the church in America, the American church, is part of the problem. We have advocated for and have not been humble to address and to recognize that there is a problem, and we have not been humble enough to enter into the conversation to, be, to recognize our part of the problem. So the Hebrew word for humility or humble <coughs> actually means to stand below. When you look at the word, you'll see lowly, or to take a posture of lowness. Um, what that means is we need to literally stand below. And so what it is saying is walk humbly with your God is to stand below God. God is higher, and we are standing as a person that is lower. That's what the Hebrew word means for, for humble. Um, so the lower position will intentionally and purposefully keep ourselves reserved and standing under. So the old adage that I use a lot of times is that in order to understand, you must stand under. In order to understand, you must stand under. And that is the definition of, of humility, to, to literally take the position of 
of lower, the intentional act of standing under in order to understand. The literal posture of underneath, becoming a listener, becoming vulnerable in our ignorance. I don't know. Help me to understand. And the admission that we don't have the answer and we need help with this answer. Part of humility is not allowing the noisy voices to drown out the voice of the unheard. And so we need to make intentional uh, intentional pot. We need to have intentional posture to stand under and to take a learning position uh, during this time. If you are if you are white, you need to listen to the black and brown communities that we are are that that we are a part of, or that are our friends, or that are our distant friends, or our coworkers. Whatever social interaction that we have. If we have no social interaction with brown or black communities, we need to intentionally place ourselves or get to or become a part of the conversation with black or brown communities. We, we cannot sit here and have a racism conversation as let's say you are white, as white people over here, we're going to have white people talking about racism over here and not including or being a part of the conversation larger with African-Americans or people of, of color. So this is where the action word walking, walk humbly. The walking actually is an action in the Hebrew. It's not just this passive, I need to take this lowly position, this attitude of lowliness, this underneath like idea that I have in my head. It, it actually means we need to walk humbly. We need to go and, and walk towards these issues. While you're walking, while you're doing life, where you're going, what you're doing, we need to have the attitude of standing under or, or, or being beneath, listening to the conversation. I think that action-oriented humility in the racism conversation means that we will surround ourselves with people that can authoritatively speak into the conversation and that definitely includes people of color. And if we are not sitting at the table with people of color having the racism conversation, how I can change, what I need to do to change with healthy people that can authoritatively speak into the subject, we need to get there. If we're not there, we need to get there. And that's my call to our church, to walk humbly in this time to be a listener and an engager in the conversation. I sat with a black pastor and I learned so much about the black church in one conversation. I learned so much about the white church in one conversation. I learned that there was a black church and there was a white church. I'm going to repeat that again. In one conversation, I actually learned after 20 some odd years of being a pastor that there actually was a black church, which I knew 
because I've been to some of them, but I learned that there is a white church. And that division, just in one conversation, that division speaks loudly. There are different cultural aspects to both. One has systemic racism in it that needs to change, the white church. I also learned that the black church behaves and acts in, in many different ways that speak liberation, grace, mercy, and justice. And I thought, well, why can't we adopt those concepts? Like, why, why aren't we engaged in those, in those concepts? And, I'm, I, and that separation has literally created a cultural division how white church acts and how black church acts. It's a sad reality with the church. I, I learned that in the black church, there's no such thing as burnout. I was surprised when I learned that concept. The black pastor looked at me and said, there's no time for burnout in the black church. You haven't afforded me the time for burnout in the black church. Wow, that was eye-opening. Uh, so there's so much to learn when it, comes to, when it comes to racism and the systemic racism that we have issued and been a part of and created in our society. So when we learn and we're a part of the table and we're walking in humility, our perspectives are challenged, our perspectives change, we listen to different voices, which means that there's difference at the table and a world, my prayers that would be become more inclusive. So my prayer in this time as the church and this is the group of people that I've been placed in, in calling to shepherd and to be a part of. So my prayer for Resonate Christian Church is that we would be a part, an instrumental, and a voice of liberation for all people. That we would advocate for people of color, that we would advocate for the black community, that, that, and we would tear down our own personally, corporately, institutionally, but work on also our culture around us as Christians in our culture to tear down systemic racism that exists in, in, in all, of our, all of our circles and our, and our worlds. And I pray that this would be long-term, that we're in this for the long game, that this wouldn't just be July and it's over, and that people would experience and, and, and be a part of liberation in our, in our community, as a church, as people, as families, as friends, but as, as a community. And I pray, as we have a predominantly white church, that we would acknowledge that there's a problem. We would, we would discover our part of the problem. We would listen to the conversation, walk humbly in that conversation, advocate for change, starting with our own hearts, our own actions, our own words, our own hands and feet, our own minds, be renewed of our mind in this concept and bring world change. And that is what I'm calling for. Not complacency, not finger pointing, nothing like that, that we would enter in fully into the conversation. And when I think about Jesus at the table, here he is amongst a bunch of people that are others, and we're not accepted people 
they were, they were not accepted mostly for their actions and their behaviors, but they were, he, was at a group of ta- he was at a table with a group of people, and he takes what represents his body, and he takes what represents his blood, and he gives it to them, and he says, do this in remembrance of me. That's an example of the sacrifice of Jesus, what he did for all people, the liberation of all people. And I think it's time for us to have the same perspective. When we take communion, it is a reminder that our blood, sweat, and tears, our bodies need to be sacrificed for the sake of the liberation of all people. Let's take communion together. This represents Jesus' body. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And this represents his blood. He says, do this in remembrance of me. I hope that you learned something today and this week. I sure have. And my prayer for you this morning is that you would take these words seriously. That these words would not just fall on deaf ears. That you would take them into your life and process them like we all are in our culture today. So let's all stand where you are and we're going to pray. Father, thank you for, Lord, this moment that we have the chance to talk about humility. Lord, I pray in our world as we have seen and uh, people are experiencing racism. Lord, I pray that we would be people that, a people of peace and reconciliation and liberation. That we wouldn't just have complacent and apathetic hearts towards racism. That we would engage in the conversation and bring about change. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.